A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. Historically, guys don't win scoring titles and NBA titles, but Jordan was sort of walking that tightrope. And in 93, the three-peat, there was absolutely no question he was the best player in the world and the best player we've ever seen. Spot on, mate. By virtue of having that first selection, I'd like to thank you for joining me on the episode today. It's been great chatting. And Oh, hang on. No, there's more to go. Sorry. Um... <laughs> And you are in Australia right now. You're talking NBA basketball. You're talking great teams. You're talking great individual players. Takes it off and there's number 23. And of course, Johnny goes nuts. We're all getting first bumps thinking about it now. I just tried to go out there and play my game. I have no idea what you're talking about, Adam. I don't like anybody. I'm not a people person. Strand, he made the pass. Yes. Christian, can you catch the ball? Yes. All the stars were aligned and all the muscles fired at the right time. And I was able to get off the ground and throw one down. I was saving that as a surprise for you. And now, introducing your host for In All Airness, Adam Ryan. Welcome to episode 23. Thanks for joining me. My website, inallairness.com. Just add a forward slash and the episode number to view show notes. Being episode 23, I was hoping to speak to the great man himself, Michael Jordan, but his private number was busy each time I tried to call, so therefore could not have him as the special guest for episode number 23. In all seriousness, though, uh, in the future, it would be an absolute treat to speak to MJ. You never know what could happen down the line, so I'll never want to rule that out. So that's always a possibility, as sky high as it may seem. Now, I encourage you to interact with the show. Uh, simply visit facebook.com forward slash inallairness. Please add your like to the page. You can suggest topics or guests that you'd like to hear from in the future. You can also leave voicemail comments or questions on either site. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, or you can simply add my RSS feed. Just check out the right-hand sidebar of my website. You can hear the show as well on Stitcher, Player FM, and other podcatchers. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. If you add a review of my show on iTunes, I'd be most appreciative. That's the ultimate assist to me, your ratings and reviews. And you can do that by visiting inallairness.com forward slash iTunes. On this episode, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Todd Spear. It's his first time on the show and we enter into a competition of sorts. It's called Retro GM. Please do check the show notes for this episode. It's inallairness.com forward slash 23. That will give you a breakdown of how the Retro GM contest works. In this episode, Todd and I alternate picks in terms of choosing our best team possible from a particular era. In this case, it's the 1987 through 1993 NBA era. Once you've had a listen to the episode, it'd be great if you could head over to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash inallairness. You'll see there's an option to vote for Todd's team or my team. So just click on Todd if you want to vote for Todd's team or click on Adam if you want to vote for my team. It'd be nice to get a bit of a discussion going. So please feel free to add your comments in the thread below the actual question itself. That'd be great. Now, on to the show. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Todd Spear. How are you, Todd? 
Yeah, good, Adam. How are you, mate? I'm going very well, thanks. Thanks for joining me on the show today. It's uh, great to have you along. No problem. Thanks for having me, mate. No problems whatsoever. We met many years ago via email through the wonders of the internet and we've been chatting backwards and forwards and gradually became better and better friends as the years have gone on. So it's been quite a few years now that we've actually known each other. Back in the VHS days, I believe. Yeah, that's right. So we're dating ourselves a bit for sure. This is your first time on the show. Can you just perhaps talk about your involvement with basketball and and what you uh, have done in the past and what you're up to these days, mate? Yeah, I've got a little bit of a basketball background, Adam. Uh, At the age of 17, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to go to the US and uh, do a year of high school. The goal was to to get a college scholarship, and I was fortunate enough to do that. Growing up in in Western Victoria, obviously, uh, the dream was always to get to the US, but it was, you know, it seemed a little far-fetched, but I was fortunate for the opportunity. Played four years of college ball, loved every minute of it. Two years at a JUCO in Colorado and then two years at an NAIA school in Kansas. Basketball has been my life for a very long time. I've also had the opportunity to coach in the United States. For two years, I was an assistant at Central Christian College in Kansas, which was uh, the school that I played my final two years college at. And then while I was doing that, I was able to work on my journalism, uh, which was uh, my major while I was in college. And I was able to uh, travel back and forth to Oklahoma City, where I covered the Thunder for the first three years of their existence in Oklahoma City. I was writing for Slam and a couple of other publications, a couple of Australian publications, uh, mostly freelance work, but journalism is what I wanted to get into, so it keeps me involved in the game. But just in the last year and a half, I've been uh, working on a biography on Drazen Petrovic. The manuscript's finished. It's all ready to go. It's being edited as we speak. Yeah, shopped to uh, US publishers. Really excited about that. Always wanted to write a book. As you can tell, I, I haven't strayed too far from the game, whether it's playing, coaching, or writing means everything to me. So as I'll probably show today, probably means a little too much to me. <laughs> but um, I suppose a little bit of an interesting story. But yeah, loved uh, every minute of it. Got a very good background. And the more that you talk about those credentials, the worse I feel in terms of actually being the host of this show. But anyhow, <laughs> that's another matter. You do have some great background in involved with basketball, and particularly those three years you were talking about when you were covering the OKC Thunder that's also an entirely other topic that we might even get into at another time also. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you know, it was funny. Um, the very first game I went to, uh, without going into too much detail, the first game I covered was in uh, December of 2008, and the Thunder were 3-29. and So they were at rock bottom. Colissimo had just been fired about three weeks earlier, and they actually had a win that night. It seems like they've been taking extra steps ever since. Yeah, very fortunate to have had the opportunity to see uh, Durant and Westbrook up close and speak to them and sort of watch their formative years, but they've left me behind. They've gone on to bigger and better things. It's a great backstory there, mate. So we'll probably touch on that in a future episode, I'm sure. Today, though, we're going to be trying something a bit new, which is uh, an idea that you floated, and I'm really happy with the idea and thought, yeah, let's do this. So we only really started talking about this in the last 24 hours proper, and within that space, we've just gone absolutely into beast mode and just been researching and trying to get some stats and facts and figures behind us. So we're going to be talking about the 1987 through 1993 seasons, and we're each going to try and select an NBA team of players from that particular era based on their performances during that time. So that's the goal of today's episode. Yeah, it was a little bit difficult, Adam. As you know, we've, we've made some, some pretty strict criteria, so a lot of great players in that era, but not everyone's going to make the cut, unfortunately. I've painstakingly gone through my list and I've double and triple 
checked it, but it's just tough that you have to leave some of these great players off. Now, some of the guidelines for the choices that we're making today, we'll go over those briefly in a moment, but for those that wish to find all the rules and regulations of what we've actually put in place, you can just go over to my website, inallairness.com, and check out in the show notes for episode 23 and you can see the particulars of the uh, reasoning behind our choices today and how it all works. So do you want to just quickly go over a few of the guidelines that we've put in place, mate? Yeah, absolutely. The first one is the two-year rule. So between the years of 86, 87 to 92, 93, players that we're going to be selecting must have played at least two years within that period of time. So that means Shaq, for example, who was a rookie during the 92, 93 season, he wouldn't make the cut. He just misses out because that was only the one season that he played during that span. So that that's a good explanation of the two-year rule. That does narrow it down a little bit and make it a bit easier for us to perhaps choose some people within that era. Another thing is that these players must have played in at least one All-Star game or have been selected in an All-NBA first, second or third team. Yeah, well, that means the best of the best, doesn't it? And even having said that, you know, there was some great players that didn't play in all-star games. You know, Derek Harper, Eddie Johnson, for example. Not that they would have been had choices anyway, I'm sure, but absolutely the best players from this era get chosen. Another criteria, Adam, will be the we'll be selecting, obviously, alternating our choices, but the format will be for the first five, uh, starting five, center, two forwards, two guards, and then we'll fill our benches in, you know, regardless of position from that point forward. Sounds very good. With the All-NBA teams, the All-NBA third team didn't actually come into being until the 1989 season. Now, I'm not sure of the actual history behind that, but I'm I'm assuming, and that could be a mistake, that this came in because of the expansion teams that started to enter the league around this time. So maybe they went to the third All-NBA team based on that. Do you actually know the reasoning behind the third team? I don't, to be honest, but I did notice that they didn't have any four prior years. It was really hard to make an All-NBA first and second team prior to that. Got to be in the 10 best players in the league. Yeah, true. So that gives us a bit more of a wider pool of players to choose from. As you said, we're going to alternate our choices. The first person to pick based on the results of a virtual coin toss to make sure it's all official. Thank you to our sponsor, virtualcointoss.com, for their input there. That's exactly right. Courtesy of Professor Google, we've come up with the <laughs> virtualcointoss.com. That will be kicking things off for us in just a moment. So is there anything else you wanted to add, mate, before we actually get into the coin toss and start choosing our respective teams? No, I think we're good. But, yeah, just to reiterate, the choices will be based on the performance between the years we've listed. So you and I spoke earlier, Adam, and you know, a guy like Reggie Miller who sort of didn't explode until – the 93-94 season, at least in my mind, sort of a you know big-time player. You know He'd be on the fence. Kareem, another guy that we talked about earlier, he'd be on the fence because after 87, his production really dipped. So I expect some interesting choices. Yeah, this should be fun. I really have enjoyed the last 24 hours just trying to go over the team and pour over the stats and <laughs> think about what how I remember first learning of these players and all that sort of stuff. So this is going to be pretty enjoyable and I hope that the people listening also have some fond memories of some of these bygone era and some of the great players we're going to chat about. Yep, looking forward to it, mate. All right, mate. So I'm just going to get the old virtual coin toss ready to go. Hopefully you'll be able to hear the sound effects come through. Let's have a look. You'll just have to trust me on uh, heads or tails, mate. You make the call. What would you like? Yeah, I'll go tails. Thank you. Tails it is. All right, let's hear. Oh, it is tails. Oh, my goodness. So, Mr. Spear, you are first selection out of the entire pool from this era. You know, as tempting as, as Chuck Nevitt was, you know, I know we were both... Uh, praying on that that coin flip you know there's really only only one guy to choose from and i believe he inspired this website you're going to go for the great michael jordan 
Yeah, no doubt about it. What is there to say? You know, look, I suppose around the time that I became a fan was sort of the Dream Team era, and, uh, you know, Jordan really defined it. I suppose when I think of Jordan from this period of time, I strangely enough, I think of his home videos, Come Fly With Me and Playground and then Airtime, you know, mm-hmm. live it and breathe it. Jordan was was everything in that era, but, um, you know, what's, what's there to say that hasn't already been said? That's very true. Now, just during this seven-year span that we're talking about, just to give some perspective about what he actually achieved in that time he averaged 33 points six rebounds six assists three steals and one block per game and he led the league in scoring for all seven seasons whilst playing at least 78 games or better so just some phenomenal statistics over that period of time so clearly the winner of the coin toss uh you've done very well there mate with that first selection just hearing those statistics that was the evolution of Jordan. We're going to begin with the 87 season. You know, I think he scored over 3,000 points in that year. And, and then you look at Jordan in 89, 32, 8 and 8. You know, Collins plays him at the point for the last two months of the season. You know, his numbers go in a different direction. You know, then Phil Jackson comes along, you know, the triangle. His points dipped slightly, but, you know, he was still in the low 30s. And really, he was a guy that, uh, you know, was winning scoring titles while winning games historically guys don't win scoring titles and NBA titles but Jordan was sort of walking that tightrope and in 93 the three-peat you couldn't beat him already then he was being considered the greatest player of all time even though he had less rings and magic and same amount of MVPs etc but there was absolutely no question he was the uh, the best player in the world and the best player we've ever seen yep spot on mate by virtue of having that first selection now I'd like to thank you for joining me on the episode today it's been great chatting and oh hang on no there's more to go sorry um, <laughs> I will take with my first pick now that you've taken the great Michael Jordan off the books um, I'm going to go with the magic man Magic Johnson as my first selection so Magic he did retire after that 1991 season obviously we all know the history behind that where he, he announced that uh, he had the HIV virus and would be retiring from the league but in the span of those 87 through 1991 he averaged 22 points 7 rebounds 12 assists a game and Obviously, was the architect pretty much of the Showtime offense at that stage with the Lakers. So I'll go with the Magic Man for my first selection. You know what's funny about when we think of Magic, or at least when I think of Magic, you know, I think of the the period of the '80s, you know, beginning to end. But what's funny is after '87, you know, he he won his first MVP. He won all three of his MVPs in his last four years. You know, they had their back to back. A lot of people forget he was still really, really good in in '91 when he had to retire. He changed his game completely, was scoring more, posting up more. You know, even today, it's hard to believe he had to retire so young. When you look at the longevity of the guys playing today, but to have Magic retire at 32, you know, we sort of got cheated there, didn't we? We did indeed. And he obviously, he did come back out of retirement in the 96 season briefly, yeah. uh, but obviously he missed three or four seasons in between that time. And he still could have, yeah, had another three or four more years playing at a very good level and have been a great Great guy to have on the club still for that period of time. So we, we certainly did get robbed a little bit of him just in his post-prime, I guess you'd say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's my first pick, mate. I've gone for the Magic Man in uh, response to your pick of Michael Jordan. So there's our first picks done. Who would you like to select with your second pick? You know, Adam, I wrestled with this decision in the event that I had the third pick because I, you know, I expected Jordan and Magic to be first and second. But as much as I would love to go with a certain white forward in Boston, not named Mikhail. Um, I'm going to have to go with Olajuwon. 
and I, I suppose I should go with Akeem Olajuwon for the third pick. Yeah, that's um, true. We didn't have the uh, silent H at that stage. That's right. You know, for the simple fact that, you know, he was such a great player even from the moment he came in the league, took the Rockets to the finals in his second year, even though I know that doesn't fall in our in our specific criteria. But from 87 to 93, he was without doubt the best center in the league. I don't know if you've seen too much film, Adam, from those years, but Olajuwon was so raw. He was so, you know, almost out of control with the way he played. But, man, he could fill up a stat sheet. Everyone knows about the quadruple double he had against Milwaukee in 1990, but actually in the same month, he actually had a quadruple double taken away from him against Golden State. They had to go back and check the stats. So he, he could have had two in the same month, didn't have a weakness, whether it was passing or, or even steals, which, you know, not statistics that we associate with, with centers. As athletic as any player playing in this generation that we're talking about, you know, and I know more success came after 93 with these two titles. I just couldn't go past him. Yeah, no, exactly right. And when I was looking over these possible center picks as well, I was thinking about Elijah one. And you're right, the 86 finals just falls outside of the era that we're talking about. But that sort of helped set the scene for the fact that he then went and just dominated his position over that period of time as well. I don't know the whole backstory on Elijah one, but I'm pretty sure he came over to the US in college. And then he only really started picking up the game when he was in his late high school or early college or just prior to going yeah. to college. So that just shows you how incredible an athlete he was to be able to then modify his entire skill set to be able to play at the highest level and be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you know, just looking at some stats here in front of me, the 1990 season, the one I spoke about with the, with the quadruple doubles, just to give you an idea of sort of the versatility we're talking about, you know, 24 points, 14 boards, just under five blocks, three assists, two steals, 50% from the field. He didn't have a whole lot of support at that time. This was before, you know, Maxwell and I, I think Thorpe was there already, but before that he sort of had that team built around him, but just an incredible player. Yeah, very true, mate. And his his actual averages over that seven-year span, and they were pretty close to what you just said then, it was a 24 points, 13 boards, three assists, two steals, and four blocks a game. Now, to average that over a seven-year span is just phenomenal, so clearly it's a great selection for you at the center spot. No doubt. I'm happy to have him. All right, so with the fact that you've now taken Akeem, the Dream Elijah one, my pick for franchise center will have to be Patrick Ewing of the New York Knicks. So I'm going to go with Big Patrick. Over the same period of time that we're talking about, he averaged 24 points, 10 boards, and three blocks a game. Now, with the exception of 1987, he played at least 80 games per season as well. So that does show that he was a very healthy and fit player during that period of time and, and obviously one of the top centers in the NBA. You know what's funny about Ewing, from what I understand, and you sort of learn about guys after the fact, but, you know, when he came out of college, uh, he was predominantly a, a defensive player, you know, obviously a tremendous shot blocker. I think he had about 106 goal tens in the uh, 82 championship game against North Carolina. <laughs> like, he just wanted to block everything. But, you know, when he got to the league, really developed as an offensive player. Always loved watching him work in the post, and that baseline fadeaway was just, you know, very hard to guard. Olajuwon gets a lot of credit for, you know, his mid-range ability and out of the post, but Ewing's touch was, you know, arguably as good. You're spot on there. He did certainly swat a number of shots during that NCAA tournament. I think he was just trying to make some intimidation factor, really, because some of the ones he blocked were well and truly on their way down into the hoop almost. So he did develop some great moves over his college career, which held him in great stead come NBA. And he was just a perennial super player throughout that entire period of time. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, mate. So we've, we've made our first guard pick each, and also we've chosen our first center pick. Who would you like to go with with your next selection? For my third pick, I'm going to take a power forward, and obviously between Barkley and Malone, I suppose if you're looking at their careers, you're either going to go longevity or, or peak performance to sort of get your answer. But thankfully, we've only got sort of a six or seven year period to choose from. And I'm actually going to take Barkley during this period for the simple fact that if all things are created equally, you know, he was the better player, the more instinctive, I guess, uh, would get others involved and just playing better to watch. I know Philly missed the playoffs in 92 and, and he, he got traded during this period of time. So, But, you know, I just think about how well he played on the Dream Team. Obviously, the 93 season where he won the MVP, you know, it was one of my favorite seasons to watch a guy play because uh, he was finally surrounded by talent that, that sort of he deserved. You know, he always talked about Bird and, and Magic had the players that they played with. And I think the, the line that he used was he wanted Shaq and they gave him Charles Shackelford. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, to yeah. see him play with great players like KJ and Marley, any other year that team probably wins a title. So I'm happy to pick Barkley just for the simple fact that what a fun player to watch during this period. Yeah, no, you've got that in one, mate. That's uh, a very solid pick. Uh, no pun intended, I guess, based on the <laughs> fact that he was a bit of a round mound of rebound. That leads me then to make a difficult decision in the fact that I was looking at Sir Charles and uh, weighing up the pros and cons of that selection as well. So now that he's off the charts, I'll go with the mailman, Carl Malone. He averaged 28 points, 11 rebounds, 3 assists, was the uh, MVP of the 1989 All-Star Game. And we know that his career, he had some fantastic averages throughout his whole career. I've never really been a massive fan of the mailman. And on some of the previous episodes of this show, <laughs> it may have been come across that way. I've got nothing personally against him. I just haven't, I just didn't really enjoy his personality perhaps uh, as much as some of the other players. So he was very workmanlike, obviously a physical freak in terms of his build and longevity and being able to play you know almost 82 games every season so i'll take the mailman with my next selection can't really go wrong with that one you know because you know he's going to play 82 games a year probably going to give you 27 and, and 10 you know it's funny when i think of malone i think it's stockton when i was uh living in the u.s i remember um nba tv showed a game from 1988 it was uh, game five of the western semis and malone and stockton were sort of playing against kareem and magic and those guys and then, like, several hours later, I was watching a live telecast of Malone and Stockton playing against the Lakers and Shaq and Kobe, and, you know, it just speaks to the longevity. I agree, I'm not a huge Malone fan myself, but, you know, he really worked hard to become uh, the great player that he was. Probably, you know, if you're going to use the example of statistical guys who maybe you needed to see play to better understand them, because if you looked at Malone's stats, you'd argue that, you know, he could be a, a top five or ten player based on his averages and, and totals. But, you know, if you watched him play consistently, which I know you and I both have, yeah, you tend to put him in, say, a top 20 of all time. Yeah, he's obviously one of the greatest players ever. Uh, I'm not doubting that. Yeah, I just never, like, I guess because the Bulls also beat up on the Jazz in the 97 and 98 finals as well, I just tend to, uh, for whatever reason, have just associated the fact with, yeah, well, I'm glad that you know, they put Stockton and Malone in their place at that stage, but I'm a totally biased Bulls fan and Jordan fanatic, so it's probably unwarranted most of the uh, things that I say or, or my scepticism against his greatness, but you can't overlook the stats, and he was obviously a fantastic all-round player. 
And the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. Well, that's right. <laughs> Very true. In, in the words of Scotty Pippen, who was uh, – that was a fantastic quote and that he uh, said to the mailman, I think it was game one of the 97 finals. Yeah, that's right. When uh, Carl was at the line to have those couple of free throw attempts and he came up short on both and we know how that game ended. I believe we do, yeah. We uh, we could all – probably could have picked it, but, yeah, to actually see it happen – and then uh, I think the famous the fist pump there after Jordan hit that shot. That's right, which was later imitated by Richard Hamilton. Did you remember <laughs> that? He actually then started doing it when he was a Wizards era playing with Jordan. So he uh, then started bringing out the fist pump as well. Just uh, quite incredible. Uh, I know we're getting random here, but I, I even seem to remember. I know he hit two game winners with the Wizards, Jordan, uh, at Phoenix, at Cleveland. But I think one of them, he actually had the fist pump and Hamilton was like three feet behind him. Doing same the exact pose. same pose. Yeah, exactly. That's right. He hit the, the one in Cleveland, the shot three, if you want to call it, I suppose. That's when he, he brought out the fist pump, and he did it again at Phoenix when he hit that shot over the Matrix. Yeah, that's right. Uh, over Sean Marion, obviously imitating greatness, so you can't really go too wrong. No, indeed. Go as random as you want, mate. Any of these names that we mention, if you've got any side stories or bits and pieces, then I'm all for that sort of stuff, so that's not a problem. Beautiful. It's easy to do, but yeah. That's the basis of this whole show, pretty much the entire era going back in the NBA history. Like I'm, I'm happy to branch out wherever it takes us. So that was my pick, uh, the mailman, which gets the ball back into your court, so to speak. Who would you like to pick next? We're probably looking at small forwards, I guess, based yeah. on the way that we're going. You know, I can't help feeling that these guys are falling in my lap, but you know, I've, I passed on him once, but you know, I'm going to have to go with Bird. And you know what? Even though. This period of time, really, it was two great years and then sort of one year that was sort of blown out of the water. He only played six games, I think, in 89. That's right. Then you got three years where he wasn't the same bird, but, you know, you just sort of hope that he showed up healthy because he he was capable. You know, it was sort of in there somewhere. You knew knew Bird, you know, you still feared him, but it just wasn't as consistent. But, you know what, I'm still going to take him, you know, for the reasons that, you know, 87 was my favorite Bird year, even more than the MVP years because, you know, they had to work so hard to get to the finals and he was playing heaps of minutes uh, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The final three games of the Eastern Finals, if memory serves, he went for over 30 and, you know, he was like playing 48 minutes. 88 was his best year statistically. He lost a heap of weight. He actually, his body was quite toned and he shot the heck out of the ball as always. And the last three years were, were, were difficult. But, man, you know, I, I know you remember this game, Adam, but uh, 1992, March 15th, Portland, NBC, <laughs> Arv Albert. You know, he hit that crazy three. 49, 14, and 12 was the last time he was he was Larry. Those are the things you remember. So I'll very happily take Bird as my small forward. Yeah, you take Larry Joe Bird any day of the week pretty much. Uh, <laughs> and based on the fact that even an 80% Larry Bird is better than a 100% almost everybody else. Yeah, so no. that's very true. He retired after the 92 season and obviously was terrible troubles with his back and uh, other related injuries. But... That game against Portland was an absolute showstopper, and I remember watching that on our one game a week that we get on TV here in Australia. Just a great game. It was edited down, unfortunately, that we got to see it, but at least we did get to watch it. And he that crazy three-pointer, to, I think that was to force overtime. Was that right? Yeah, it was to force overtime. My favourite part of that game is with about 20 seconds to go in regulation, I think Portland was up maybe six or seven. And Marv Albert actually was reading the credits, you know, thank you to our producer, thank you to this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, people are leaving. 
And, yeah, they managed to force overtime, and I think they won in double overtime. Yeah, it was a double OT game, and I'm fairly sure that the Celtics actually didn't hung on to get the win. They did, yeah. You know, just quickly, when you mentioned, uh, you know, Bird and his back brace or having a bad back, Mm -hmm. the, the word is after he retired, took his back brace out into the woods in Indiana, blew it to pieces with a shotgun, I'm pretty sure that story's true. <laughs> I've never heard that. Yeah. That, that's incredible. That's, yes. I've never heard that at all. That's awesome. Yeah, that's how much his back bothered him. You know, he was just, he was in a bad way, I think, when he retired in 92. I'm trying to think of some sort of segue to do with Washington Bullets based on the fact that he used a gun, but I just can't get there. And he hit plenty of game winners against them, but yeah. <laughs> that's true. He did too as well. Well done. All right. Larry Bird has been selected. So that leads me to look at another small forward. Oh, there's a few tough choices here, but I, I think I think I'm going to go with Big Game James, James Worthy. Wow, I'm, um, I'm surprised. A little bit surprising. Seven years worth of very high level play. Yeah, yeah, I'm deliberating, but I think I'm going to go with Big Game James. Played at least 75 games each season, except for the 1992 season, and he averaged 20 points, five boards, four assists, and also one steal. Pretty close to even. Going with a young Scotty Pippen, but... Um, to talk uh, up Pippen, obviously, was one of the key players on the Dream Team. That, that's the thing about this, you know, you, you want to think, because Scotty didn't sort of come along until 89, I don't think he he was really becoming a, you know, a starter and a, yeah. and a big-time player. So, yeah, he was probably great for half the period that we're talking. Yeah, it is. As a Bulls fanatic, it just pains me to not select him, but... We're talking about this seven-year span, and I think he became a first-time All-Star in 1990, Pippen, that is, and uh, he just started to come on in the last three or four years of that span. I think I'm going to go with the body of work from Big Game James. He just gets the nod in a very difficult decision ahead of Scotty Pippen for mine. Well, I'll tell you what, this is what you're getting with James Worthy. 88 finals MVP, and I, I reckon he had a triple-double in Game 7. I don't remember. I think he had like 36, 16, 10, something like that. 87 All-Star game. I know that's the Tom Chambers game, but Worthy could have easily won the MVP in that game. Probably the best open court player of the, the 80s if you're thinking about a guy running the wing yeah. and getting the pass. No, absolutely no slouch getting Worthy as a pick. Yeah, it's just like I've said it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. But boy, I'm super close to going with Pippen, but he just misses out. I'm afraid. Your next selection, mate. We've got four picks so far. We've got one more to, to round out our starting five. A similar dilemma to what you had in, in choosing Malone. You know, I'm not a huge Isaiah Thomas fan, but obviously he was an incredible player to watch. Couldn't keep him out of the paint. He was just, you know, obviously a very very tough competitor. But you know what, I think the thing that makes me most impressed by what he did during this period of time was that he made the Pistons relevant when he was sort of making his rise in the league. It was the Celtics and the Lakers, but he sort of elbowed his way in and made the Pistons amongst that sort of group. You know, they had some some heartbreak defeats Yeah. Um, during that period. 87, obviously, they took Boston to seven games, and then the next year in the finals against LA, they took them to seven games, finally got back-to-back titles in uh, 89 and 90. Phenomenal player. You know, statistically wasn't that imposing, but man, if there was a big game or a big shot, you knew he was going to show up and he was going to, you know, make plays. So um, I'll happily take Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, and also um, speaking of elbows and Carl Malone and Isaiah Thomas, they have a bit of a history too. There is no doubt about that. And you just 
wove that together beautifully. Uh, you know, I sort of set that up, but I knew exactly where you were going with it. YouTube would have more information on this. In the show notes, I'll include links to a lot of the things that we talk about in particular moments and, and things that have happened. So definitely check out the show notes at inallairness.com when you get around to finishing off this episode. Also, in the 1988 finals, was it the third quarter? You might have scored 25 points, something like that, on a yeah. gimpy ankle, no less. Yeah, game six. I think he was pretty beat up for game seven. You know, he sort of used up all his bullets in game six. Yeah, NBA guts and glory, I think, the home video was the uh, the one that sort of brought that to light for me. I was a bit young in 1988 to sort of witness that finals performance, but, man, he, he was a gutsy player, as I no doubt about it. That leads me to make my final selection to round out my starting five. Now, there's a few good names that are still right there at the top that are tempting me. I think, though, that I will need to narrow it down and go with, gee, this is tough. There's a couple of bigger guards that I'd like to go for, but I've already yeah. got Magic, who's six nine. So I've got to go for someone small who can also help with running the floor and uh, setting up plays. Not that Magic couldn't do that anyhow. He averaged about 12 assists a game for, <laughs> for the seven-year span we're talking about. But I think I will select Mr. John Stockton. Yeah. Go with Stock. With the exception of 1990, he played all 82 games. So obviously his durability was pretty much second to none. And he averaged 15 points, 13 assists, and three steals a contest. So very hard to go past Mr. John Stockton. And a little bit of irony in that Isaiah was picked one step ahead of Stockton, considering you know the dream team background where you know Isaiah was certainly worthy as far as uh, from a playing standpoint. But you know Stockton was right there with him on his heels. Um, you've got to appreciate a guy who's going to play every night and certainly play at a high level. The age-old sort of argument, did Malone make him or did he make Malone? Mm. You know, I sort of am of the opinion that they made each other and, you know, phenomenal player, obviously longevity. But like a lot of these guys, you know, sort of like Jordan and Barkley, and he came of age during the period of time that we're sort of focusing on and just a phenomenal player. That means that we have a starting five each lined up. Your team consists of Michael Jordan, Isaiah Thomas, the two guards, your two forwards, you've got Charles Barkley and Larry Bird, and your centre is Akeem Olajuwon. Now, that is an all-world team, if I've ever heard one. Yeah, look, you, you know, I probably got lucky with how the order fell. Really, whoever got the first pick was in the pole position, without doubt. <laughs> no doubt about that. But I think I, think I just defined pole position. <laughs> Sorry about being redundant there. <laughs> no, no, you're right, right. And my team, my first two guards are Magic Johnson and John Stockton. My two forwards will be Carl Malone and James Worthy, and my man in the middle is Patrick Ewing. There are our first five selections on our 87 to 93 retro GM picks. Now, that leaves us remaining seven players each to select. From this point forward, we virtually can just choose anybody irrespective of their actual playing position, so we can just log up the seven next best players that we want to fill out our rosters. Does that sound fair? Yeah, this is where it's going to get interesting. It'll be sort of, you pick the most talented guy next, and yeah, this is where we load up. This will be some fun, so I'm looking forward to this one. So we're back to your next selection by virtue of the winning the coin toss. So who would you like to go with next, mate? Going to have to go with Scotty for the reasons that we talked about with sort of uh, when matching him up against Worthy. I can't sort of shake the fact that, you know, when the Dream Team was sort of occurring that, you know, Chuck Daly has been quoted as saying, if Jordan and Pippen are on the floor, then everything will be fine. You know, we can put out anyone else. 
you know, he really came of age. You know, I don't need to tell you during that first three-peat. The jury was sort of out on Pippen there for a little while. I think he had a migraine in, was it game seven of the 1990 Eastern Finals against Detroit? He was a pretty much a no-show for that. You know, he really gained Jordan's trust during that period of time. And I tell you what, he's arguably the greatest perimeter defender from the forward position. You really can't go past him at this stage. Yeah, I painstakingly looked past him to get uh, big game James. So, yeah, it's uh, a good selection indeed. That then will lead me towards wanting to make my first selection as Dominique Wilkins. I'm going to go with the human highlight film. Yeah. For the Atlanta Hawks, he averaged 28 points, seven rebounds and three assists per game over that seven-year span. And with the exception of 1992, he played at least 71 games a season. So he was pretty reliable in terms of his durability and just an incredible playmaker and uh, scorer and could do a lot of things and he will be my next selection. The funny thing is, you know, when I was first sort of evaluating, you know, my small forward candidates, you know, I thought of Wilkins and immediately thought of the Achilles injury. But as you sort of pointed out, it only wiped out the second half of the 92 season. You know, between 86 and, and 91, he was the elite scorer from the small forward position. His team's never made it to the conference finals, but takes nothing away from the individual. And not to mention he was featured prominently on every NBA home video between 89 and 92, just ad nauseum. He, he sure was. Because you took MJ, and he's obviously the leading scorer out of any of these players that we're talking about for that period of time. Dominique was the next highest scorer at 28 points a game, I'm pretty sure. So I need to get someone who can uh, rack up some points as well. So he was a very reliable contributor over a majority of that time. So I'm going to go with uh, Dominic Wilkins. And if we're, uh, you know, imagining a scenario where our two teams are playing against each other, you can sort of uh, imagine how he would play with with Magic or Stockton as far as open court. You can sort of daydream about that. A frightening uh, lineup that you can imagine. I think in some of the Magic Johnson's was it Midsummer Night Magic games, yeah. He yeah. the exhibition games in the off-season, a few of those lineups did include some of these dream scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. And those games were always Astro points, you know, yeah. like 194 to 182, you know, <laughs> those sort of, you know, we need those on YouTube if they're not already on there, for sure. Yeah, there's a few bits and pieces of some of those games on there. I'm not sure if the full games are or not yet, but that's definitely worth looking into. So I'll check that out. And if they are, I'll add a few links to those in the show notes as well. That means it's back to your next selection, mate. Who would you like to go with to continue adding to your considerable stock? Yeah, once again, you know, difficult choice, but you know, if if we're abiding by the criteria, you know, I was sort of obviously thinking about David Robinson as another center, but I think I'm going to go with Clyde Drexler for the mere fact that, you know, once again, focusing on this period of time, twice he went to the finals. I think he was a runner-up for the MVP in 92. If he wasn't, he should have been. We're talking about open court guys like Wilkins and Worthy and Will Drexler was, you know, sort of in that vein. Obviously, with uh, the Drazen book, I've obviously looked at that Blazers era a lot closer. And, you know, one of the things I was interested to find was, you know, Drexler wasn't a great practice player. He wasn't much away from the the game itself as far as the time that he put in. But when Buck Williams arrived, sort of took Drexler to another level. And, uh, you know, we all saw the results, 1990 finals, 92 finals behind Jordan. He was the elite shooting guard in, in the world. So, yeah, I have to go with him with the next next selection. Yep. The 1992 season for Drexler, he, he was just phenomenal. Obviously, he ended up in the NBA Finals. 
He was unlucky not to get the NBA All-Star Game MVP. Obviously, Magic Johnson, there was a bit of a history there as well, which later developed into the Dream Team as well, as far as personality conflicts. And I think Drexler might have even been quoted since of saying that if people had have known back then that Magic Johnson would have been alive to this day, that things may have actually been a bit different in terms of the results of that game and some of the things that happened throughout that season for him. Yeah, I know Jack McCallum addressed that in the in the Dream Team book as well as mm. on his own website as far as, uh, you know, the context of those comments. But, yeah, you know, Drexler is probably a guy as much as anyone else who was a victim of his timing because he was such a great player, played the wrong position in the wrong generation. He, he would have been considered the elite guard in the league maybe at another point in time, even if it was 10 years later because he was so versatile, such a great open court player. But having said that, what we got from him was just he was a great player in, in a great era. So you've got to, that speaks to, to how well, how high a level he was at. Yeah. Now, my next selection, I'm going to look back to the power forwards and I'm going to lock in Kevin McHale for my next pick. That's a great pick. I'm, yeah, yeah, upset that I didn't get him. Yeah, I think uh, he can't stay off the charts any longer than this. He averaged about 20 points, eight rebounds, and also two blocks a game in that period of time. I think he retired after the 93 season as well. So that rounded out his era in Boston and one of the all-time greats and uh, obviously one of the big three for the Celtics during the key stretch in the 80s. So that'll be a nice solid pick for my liking. Well, because of you know the criteria, you've the 86-87 season was the gold standard season for Michaela. The number sort of sticks in my mind, I think, 70 of his 77 games he scored over 20 you know he was playing on a broken foot in the playoffs and I think he's later been quoted as saying he didn't realize how good he was until he he had to play on the broken foot and he was still getting 20 and 10 everyone talks about the post how good a post player he was well even the words now don't do it justice because he seemed to eat up every player that tried to guard him and I know Barkley says it often that he, he was the best player that he ever played against so even relevant still into the 90s I think he played in the 91 all-star game and and I seem to remember in the 93 playoffs even at the end they played Charlotte and I think it might have been his last home game he, he had over 30 points and you know if his feet had held up probably could have played a lot longer. Yeah, that's true as well. He was uh, hobbled a bit in his last couple of years due to those sort of injuries and they can make a massive difference. But even still, to be able to put up those sort of numbers and have the career he did with that nagging him for quite a few of those final few years is certainly a testament to his achievements. Yeah, no doubt. So, mate, we've picked seven players each so far for our teams, if my calculations are correct. So we're over halfway there. Back to you for your next selection. Who would you like to choose you know, just going on the rationale of the next best player, I'm going to have to take David Robinson, uh, obviously a dream teamer. He wouldn't start on the team that I've selected because, you know, I, I think Olajuwon was a superior player, but, you know, he was a, just an incredible defensive player, especially earlier in his career when, when he was a lot more athletic and he could run the floor and such an interesting guy. You sort of look at Robinson and, and wonder, you know, why he didn't take games by the scruff of the neck and, and take San Antonio to a higher place Earlier in his career, you know, maybe that speaks to the supporting cast or even, you know, a timing issue as far as the other teams in the West. But I know he came in the league in 89 to 93, so I've only got four years to work with. But I'll happily take those four years over any other centre for a seven-year period. And, you know, that includes, you know, Moses or, or Robert Parrish. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from there. And that means my next decision, I don't know whether to go for some more height because at the moment I've only got Patrick Ewing, who's my 
uh, sole big man, but I think I will have to back up the center, the center position. And I, I'm going to actually look at. I might go a little bit off track here a bit and go with Brad Doherty. No, he, he's he made my list as as a candidate. So mm, I, I think um, pa- yeah, Parish solid numbers as well. But even Moses Malone has some pretty good over that period of time. He had 18 and 10, I think, for a majority of that time. Moses with the Bullets, the uh, Hawks, and the Bucks. But I'm going to go with Brad Doherty and his averages over that period of time. He got 19 points a game, 10 rebounds, four assists, so a good passing big man, one steal and one block a game. With the exception of 1990, he played at least 70 games per season, and his rookie year was 1987. So that's my next pick uh, for my team. Yeah, and uh, we probably should name this fantasy draft after Brad Doherty because he fits neatly into the, 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 the time frame and the criteria, but a great pick. You know, he was the symbol, along with Price, for those Cavalier teams that just couldn't sort of get to that next level. But he's probably known most for those teams and their association with Jordan and sort of the heartbreak there, but take absolutely nothing away from what he's able to do. You know, he was a, a really solid player in a generation when obviously there are a lot of great centers. His numbers speak for themselves, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I think I actually really enjoyed his personality as well. Like some of the interviews I saw him, he was quite a soft-spoken and laid-back-seeming character. And yeah. they're some of the things that endear me to certain players. And I can recall a few interviews where I saw him off-court and, yeah, just appealed to me that way as well. So as well as having a great skill set, being a really good big man at that period of time, I enjoyed some of the off-court stuff that I learnt by uh, watching him too. And I think the perception of him earlier in his career was that he was a little bit soft because he played that way. You know, he was not your typical center who would just tear the rim off on a dunk, but he was very, you know, he had a great touch. You know, he was a good passer and, you know, those whatever labels there were of him were not justified. And I think he proved himself, you know, over time. Agreed, mate. Now, as we're, as we're going through these, there's a few players that I've still got my eyes on and I'm just hoping that they don't get Stolen away just beneath my uh, grasp. Let's see who you're going to go for next, mate. I'm, I'm a bit anxious here. I've got three guys that I'm really tossing up at the moment. But, yep. you know, it's easy to, to pick a guy based on what we know them for. But that doesn't necessarily fall in with, with what we're going for here. So I'm going to go for Chris Mullen because Ooh, yep. I think, I think his, his five best years, over 25 a game, five straight years. And this was the period of time where he was obviously at his best. And I think all but, you know, 93, he was... He was mostly healthy. I know he had the the alcohol rehab maybe early in in the period we're talking about here, but the Dream Team era, Mm -hmm. he was a a great contributor to that team. And just, you know what, a great shooter. You didn't need need to take 20 shots to be effective. He probably needed to take 12 or 14 and he'd still get over 20 points. So it just seems like a guy, when I watch film of him, that would be fun to play with. You know, he, he makes the extra pass. You know, obviously you'd, you'd hit him uh, with a pass and he would spot up and, you know, it just seems like a fun guy to play with. Obviously, Don Nelson teams, I like that, but very happy that I would take Mullen because I know he'd contribute. A great pick there, so I can't argue with that whatsoever. His averages over that period of time were 23 points a game, five rebounds, four assists, and also two steals. So he was an underrated passer too, I believe, and a good defender too, as you can see, by getting two steals a game over that seven-year span. You know, I don't know how persistent this sort of idea was, but there was always a talk that he was a bit of a West Coast Larry Bird, sort of a poor man's bird. I don't know if that was a white guy thing or what, but he, he was a great player in his own right. And uh, I'm not sure if, 
you'll edit that out or not, <laughs> whether that's legitimate. But um... <laughs> I'm not going to edit it out. <laughs> I won't edit that out. That's I see where you're coming from for sure. Yeah. No, he was a great player, no doubt. Yeah. We've still got some really good players on the boards here, and I'm just trying to work out who I'm actually going to go with. But I think I may, now that you've taken Chris Mullen, I might go with, I'm going to go with, oh, I'm tempted. No, I'll give him a miss. I'm going to go with Fat Lever. Wow. Dang it. Yeah, I'm going to go with Fat Lever. Now, he's a he's a player that I've championed a little bit in episodes past of this show, and I just think he's one of the more underrated players in NBA history, let alone in this period of time. So he played with Denver and Dallas during this particular span, and he averaged 18 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists, and 2 steals a game, including his time in the Nuggets alone. He had 46 triple-doubles, which is just phenomenal. I think a stat I read some time ago was the next highest nugget who had triple-doubles was Dikembe Mutombo, who had about eight. So yeah. that just sort of sums it up. Uh, an incredible player, severely underrated. So I'm going to take Fat Lever. You know, Fat Lever has sort of this underground following. It's it's amazing because he seems like a guy who was underrated at the time. The statistics, obviously, even in a Doug Moe system, you, you can't refute those statistics. But, you know, it's funny that you bring up Fat Lever because when I um, first started writing for Slam, it was during the summer of... 2008 sorry during the off season stories are hard to come by so I wrote to my editor that you know I've got a player in mind you know I'm going to write sort of a, a plea that you know the team that he played for should retire his number and you know my editor was all for it yeah absolutely don't tell me who the player is until we're ready to publish and man I I was determined to get Fat Lever's number retired by Denver <laughs> and I wrote a you know really went all into it and you know the statistics that are associated with him are amazing you know only one guy since the aba merger um, has a career high of over 20 points 20 boards 20 assists and it's fat lever only three guys have had a playoff game of 15 15 15 and it's chamberlain jason kidd and fat lever like he's sort of but my favorite thing about him is in 87 the all nba first team was the guards were jordan and magic and the second team was Isaiah and Fat Lever. So he was one of the four best guards in the world in 87, even though he missed the All-Star game. There's just an endless parade of statistics. Needless to say, my editor didn't agree with me. The story didn't get published, mm. but uh, I'll go to bat for uh, Fat Lever any day of the week. Yeah, no, he's just an incredible talent. And unfortunately, to be behind Jordan and, and Magic Johnson as far as All-NBA type picks like he really was probably the the next best guard in the world as you said at that particular time so yeah. he got his dues though as far as the uh, all nba honors go and that's what got him onto my team as a uh, next selection there and what we uh, what we must do is uh, put up a link uh, on your site adam to the box score january 7 1988 denver at chicago um <laughs> it's an all-time box score line from fat lever against the uh, the best player in the world during his first mvp season Yep, there's a YouTube link that shows that particular game and it has pretty much all of Fat Lever's stats shown. So that's definitely a, a must look at. So I'll add a link to that in the show notes. All right, mate, we both now have nine selections apiece. So we've got three more players each to round out our rosters. Who would you like to choose next with your pick? You know, there's still loads of talent to go, but I'm actually deciding between two players who played for Detroit. And in the end, I'm going to go for versatility. So I'm actually going to pick Joe Dumas with my next pick. The great Joe D. So he was on my lookout chart there too as well. So 
Dumas averaged 18 points and five assists along with one steal a game. He was the MVP of the finals in 1989 and just had a great career with Detroit. Very good pick there, mate. The thing about Dumas that impresses me, I seem to remember him saying, you know, when they drafted him in 85, he looked at Isaiah and he looked at Vinnie Johnson and he, he sort of came to the conclusion that he needed to be a defensive player to sort of make his way on that Pistons team. And he became, a, you know, obviously his association with Jordan and that famous, you know, the Jordan rules, even the Sports Illustrated cover where he's sort of got his hand on Jordan's head, you know, he's sort of holding him down. We'll have to link to that on the site. As time went on, he became... Well, he was always a great offensive player, but earned his way as a defender first. And then, uh, you know, by the early 90s, as Thomas was sort of fading out, uh, he took over as their leading scorer and great three-point shooter. And I think uh, in 93, he was he was uh, in the low 20s per game, but, yeah, became a, a great scorer after first being a, a great defender. Yeah, I think the 93 season, he actually did average 23 point something a game. So yeah. I think that was his best output of his entire career. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's going from memory there, but I'm pretty sure it was 23 point something because yeah. I was looking over the stats earlier before we started chatting. Yeah, well, I don't doubt it. That was sort of his high point as an offensive player. So, mm-hmm. so that's your that's your tenth pick. Then you've only got two more to go. So my tenth selection. There's just some super names still on the list here, and I'm just uh, umming and ahhing about who I'm going to go with. But I think my next selection will be Terry Cummings. A friend of the show. Yes, a friend of the show indeed. Episode 17 of my show, to be, <laughs> to be precise, <laughs> if you were, just that I had that ready. It's in allearnest.com forward slash 17. Now, speaking of underrated players, as far as underrated players can go on a list of this sort of nature, Terry Cummings had a, just a super career, really, when he had his serious knee injury following the 92 season, I think it was. That really did limit his impact somewhat. But prior to that, he just had some incredible numbers over a long period of time. So during the span that we're talking about, he averaged 20 points, eight rebounds, two assists, and one steal per game. So 1993 season, he missed almost the entire season because of that knee injury. But the previous six seasons, some very stellar numbers there. And I I need to also build up my power forward stock because at the moment... Oh, I do have Kevin McHale, I suppose, but Carl Malone, and now I'll, I'll round that out with Terry Cummings. Well, uh, I'm going to need someone to defend Terry Cummings, so that'll be the uh, the emphasis for my uh, next selection. But, you know, what a great player as far as longevity. He was sort of the anchor of those Bucks teams that won all those Central Division titles in the 80s. You know, really, looking back on those statistics that you mentioned, you know, was a better scorer than I remembered. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he overcame, I think he had a pretty serious heart issue early in his career, and that, that was sort of uh, left behind. I think it was something similar to what Hank Gathers passed away from. So for him to sort of carve out that career was, you know, incredible, really, but um, very consistent, very solid, and he seemed to always play on good teams. Yeah, and you're right about that heart condition that he had or heart issue he mentioned that early on in our discussion as well so he goes into a fair bit of depth about his career and yeah, i loved every second chatting to him so he does talk about that as well i think it might have been during his san diego clippers years the first couple of years he was with them yeah so that's my 10th selection was terry cummings there's just some great players that i'm just overlooking each time i make these selections and i'm thinking oh should i have gone with somebody else but that's i'm, I'm happy with those picks so far we've got two picks left each mate who would you like to go with for your second last selection you know i'm pretty uh happy with this pick i'm gonna get uh dennis rodman because i i need uh length and i need more defense obviously easy to to remember rodman for the craziness of the 90s but certainly 
uh, more than happy to to take the Rodman of the eighties for his versatility. I, I know you know he used to to defend. You know Chuck Daly would would put him on guys, big name players. As a matter of fact, Rodman. One of my favorite stats about Rodman, or one of my favorite things. The uh, 88 playoffs, uh, you know, he spent time on Jordan in the Eastern semis, really spent a lot of time on Bird in the uh, conference finals, and then he played a lot on Magic in the finals. So we're talking the three best players of all time, um, and he was able to make life difficult for them. A very different player in the 80s than he was in the 90s, less rebounding, uh, less minutes, shot a really high field goal percentage, if, if memory corrects. He might have led the league, I think, once. Could sort of got, was more perimeter-oriented as far as his defense went. I'll take Rodman without the, the hair dye. Yeah, that's right. And in five of the seven seasons, he played 82 games. So a very right. durable player. I think his rookie season was 1987, and his averages were about nine points, 12 rebounds, and he had one steal and one block per game. So some really great numbers. I, I didn't realize he was that durable um, until you mentioned it. But, yeah, yeah, probably a guy the statistics don't knock you over. But if you want a winning team, I, w- I would say uh, you, would, you would need a guy like that. Yep, for sure. And he effectively had a double-double for those period of time, like nine points, 12 boards. His rebounding really took off. I think he was at 92. He averaged about 18 or 19 boards a game and was a, almost a selfish rebounder in that regard. He was very focused on, on rebounds, sort of took over his, his whole game. Yeah, that's when he he definitely did try to get almost every rebound possible. He'd out-rebound his own teammates at times. <laughs> he just loved to get the boards so much, but he was very passionate about his rebounding. No doubt. And a couple of Defensive Player of the Year awards too in amongst that time. Yeah, and really that probably speaks to the fact that he, he guarded so many big-name players, but also he guarded more than one position. You know, I think when LeBron missed out on the Defensive Player of the Year this year, you know, one of his arguments or other people's arguments for him sort of spoke to his versatility, how he guarded, you know, one through five or one through four. You know, Rodman, you could sort of say the same about him, especially in the first half of his career, the the period of time we're talking about. You'd happily live with him guarding a one through four or even, you know, some of the bigger players. Yeah. So uh, with just two picks remaining, I've still got a plethora of guys on the board that I'd love to add to my team, but the guidelines would not allow me to do that. So I'm going to just go with, I'm torn yet again. No, I'm going to go with Dale Ellis. I'm going to go small forwards, Dale Ellis, uh, yeah. an underrated great player of the 80s and into the 90s. He played with the Seattle Supersonics, the Bucks, and also the Spurs during this period of time. And his averages were 22 points a game, four rebounds, two assists, and one steal. As well as that, he shot 50% from the field over that period of time, along with 41% from long range. So he was one of the true three-point marksmen of the NBA. Yeah, and his his 87 season, I believe, is still the biggest turnaround in, in history. I think his average in Dallas was seven points, and then it went up to 24. So a 17-point increase. Just a, a guy who benefited from a, a change of scenery. But it's interesting, when I was writing my book on Drazen, the assistant coach with the Nets, when he got there, was a, a gentleman named Tom Newell. He was telling me about Drazen's development, but what he compared it to was Dale Ellis when he got to Seattle and how his game just took off, you know, he put a lot of extra work in. And he, uh, you know, there was some really fun Seattle teams in the late 80s that he was sort of the the top guy on, even though they had McDaniel and Chambers. But I reckon he, he had a very big 89 All-Star game. Memory serves, he had high 20s, um, just a great shooter. If you had him coming off a screen, he was going to knock it down. But, yeah, certainly a guy who you look back on as one of the best shooters of that generation, without doubt. Yeah, spot on, mate. I think the very first play of the 89 All-Star game was a Dale Ellis dunk from memory, yeah, too. Yeah, off the tip. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. 
That how scary is that? We both actually knew that play from the '89 All Star game. It's only 24 years ago. <laughs> uh, disturbing. The, uh, that was a great game, though. Very high scoring. Yeah, it definitely was, and also uh, a great player at that time, Alex English as well. He was an All Star in that particular year, and I remember he hit a few baseline jumpers and. Uh, yeah. he, he missed the cut in terms of this particular chat today, but a very, very solid player during the earlier part of the 1980s. And I think he probably was a victim of the time frame that we used because if it was the first three years, yep. um, there's no doubt he would have been up for consideration, but he really faded away after he left Denver. Yeah, true, mate. All right, so we have just one pick left to narrow out our 12-man roster. So over to you, mate. Who would you like to pick for your final selection today? When you get to this point, you, you're thinking sentimental or you're thinking you've got enough talent already, you can just pick a guy that you like. Yep. Obviously, a lot of guys left on the board, but a guy that we spoke about earlier today when we chatted, a favourite of yours and mine, you're probably uh, upset that I'm going to take him, but I'll take Bernard King. Yes! Well done. Well done. And thanks to Marv Albert for allowing us that half-second soundbite there. <laughs> I did some pretty terrible impersonations. Marv Albert's <laughs> one of my best. <laughs> Bernard King, absolute. Just, I just loved him as a player and his whole story, and it's great to see he's finally been recognised with a nod for the Hall of Fame, well and truly overdue, mind you. Yeah, just an incredible guy. So do you want to maybe just quickly talk, talk about your memories and how you first were exposed to Bernard and, and what he's meant as far as you as a fan of the game? Well, I think uh, our stories line up as far as, you know, how we became disciples of Bernard King. If it weren't for the, the home video, Awesome Endings, which came out in, in either 89 or 90, um, they did a segment on the 84 playoffs and, and obviously Game 5 against Detroit, Joe Lewis Arena. Hubie Brown was taking note of the temperature in the arena. <laughs> That's right. This is where I'll go into my really terrible Hubie Brown. Yeah. Let me tell you how hard it was. I was through my shirt and through my coat, and we hadn't even got going yet. <laughs> okay, that's probably lost half the listeners. I apologize for that. I just couldn't help myself there, mate. That needs to stay in, by the way. <laughs> I'll do my best. You know, obviously, a lot of people remember that 84 postseason for the magic of Bernard King, but I'm certainly no different in that regard. But I really appreciate his years with Washington because he had come back from the knee surgery, but the 91 season... Uh, 28 points a game among the league leaders in points you know the motivation for him was always to get back to that point and he did I uh, had some big games that year and you know I don't, how could you not love the bullets at that point they were a terrible team but he was there at that point and it's too bad that sort of that was the last hurrah for Bernard King I think he, he tore up his knee again and that was pretty much it you're right. It was awesome to see him though, get back to the all-star level and just an incredible work ethic on his rehab from the first major injury. And you see some there's some classic footage of him on one of those machines that pretty much test and strengthen his knee where he's just doing these rigorous leg lifts and things like that. Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, I do. He's, he's like grunting and, you know. Oh, just look, it looks like so full on and the machine's just wrenching his knee up and testing yeah. it out all the time and imagine to just what he went through to get himself back to just have one last sort of final shot and he got the recognition he finally deserved with that all-star nod in 91 and now he's obviously on his way to the hall of fame which is just fantastic yeah thoroughly deserved and uh probably long overdue but just a guy you, you never hear anyone who say they you know disliked watching bernard king play and nineteen thousand points and he missed a lot of games those career numbers probably should look better than what they do now, this leads me just to my final selection, and there's still some awesome names up here that I'm 
I'd love to be able to add into the team. But my roster will be closed out by the 1987 NBA All-Star MVP, Tom Chambers. I mean, the dunk, uh, the Mark Jackson play, you know, came during that period of time. It had some big years, 27 a game in 1990, had a 60-point game. I think he had a 50-point game against Golden State as well. A player that he's sort of grown in stature. The longer we get away from him, the more, more in the rearview mirror his career gets. He was just fantastic, and I really enjoyed watching his career and the games I've had the chance to actually see him play either off VHS or you know DVD games and things. And he was super in Seattle, pardon the pun, but then he obviously <laughs> went across to the Phoenix Suns and ended up playing in the finals in 1993. But just a fantastic career, particularly during this span where he averaged 21 points, seven rebounds and a couple of assists, one steal and one block a game. So I couldn't go past Tom Chambers there to round out my roster with apologies to numerous players. But that wraps up our 12 selections there, mate. I'd like to go back and look my roster top to bottom just to see where I'm at. But, you know, you feel bad. you got Tim Hardaway, Kevin Johnson, Mark Price, point guards that were left out. you got Mitch Richmond, Reggie Miller, Reggie Lewis, Drazen, you know, Ricky Pierce, Larry Nance was left off, Moses, Robert Parrish. You know, there's obviously going to be great players. I'm, I'm scared that I've left someone really notable off. I hopefully haven't. <laughs> That's what I was thinking as well. I'm thinking, I'm sure I've left somebody off here that people are going to say, what about this guy? And I'll just be uh, livid. But And then Mark Aguirre was one I had in consideration as well. Yeah, um, a lot of Dallas guys from that era. Did you mention Kevin Willis? No, I had him on my list, but yeah, no. I-, yeah. I had Kevin Willis even in the gun as well. He was uh, very close to making an appearance and... Uh, even as a backup centre, I was thinking about Mark Eaton and, and Moses Malone, those sort of players as well. So apologies yeah. also to Charles Oakley and, and Michael Cage, who I would have loved to have included, but they didn't get a nod on the all-NBA teams, even though they were serious workhorses and great rebounders at that time. And they'll just have to be content being featured on awesome endings for that uh, chase for the rebounding title. Yeah, that's right. That was fantastic. Oakley was an all-star. He did make one all-star appearance, but I think it may have been 1994. So that just means that he was out of calculations in terms of being able to choose him. I thought that was my little way to sneak him onto the team for his all-star game appearance, but he just went outside the era that we're talking about. Yeah, I seem to remember he and Starks made it the same year. It might have been their only appearance, but yeah, and that was... uh it would have been 94 in uh, Minneapolis. So let's just quickly recap each of our teams, mate. If you like, I'll just quickly reel off who I've selected with my 12 picks. Yeah. In no particular order, I've got Magic Johnson, Fat Lever, John Stockton, Dominic Wilkins, James Worthy, Dale Ellis, Carl Malone, Kevin McHale, Terry Cummings, Tom Chambers, Patrick Ewing, and Brad Doherty. So that rounds out my 12-man roster, mate. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm going to combat that with uh, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, uh, although it was touch and go, Sam Bowie was available when I made that pick, uh, Clyde Drexler, Chris Mullen, Joe Dumas, Larry Bird, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Bernard King, Charles Barkley, or Barclay, uh, Akeem Olajuwon, <laughs> and David Robinson rounded out. That Charles Barclay, that's um, Damien Keogh. Uh, hi to Bill Woods if he's listening. Oh, well, that's true. I suppose Bill Woods doesn't mind some of the mispronunciations from time to time. And <laughs> I know that in the one of the Olympics telecasts, Damien Keogh, I'm fairly sure, was the commentator at one particular stage, and he referred to Barkley as Charles Barclay. But, yeah, quite interesting, given that he was one of the most famous athletes in the world at the time. 
and given that there's an E at the end of Barclay. Well, yeah, that's true. That's a bit of a giveaway as well. <laughs> uh, now, you've just casually reeled off 12 Hall of Famers, by the way, mate, given that Bernard King's going to be enshrined later this year. So you've done very well there with your with your selections. Yeah, very happy with the team, Adam. But, uh, of course, as I've said to you before, it all started winning the coin flip. So um, it all went from there. A magnificent coin flip it was too. The, the sound effects were top class as well. <laughs> So there you go, mate. So that's our selections. What I'm going to do is I'll put up a list of both our rosters and through the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash in all airness, there'll be an area where people will be able to vote. Just a simple click to choose which roster they'd take. And it'll be interesting to get a bit of feedback here and a bit of involvement. So if you have enjoyed this episode and listened to what we've gone on about and, and heard our justifications, we'd love you guys to just take a moment to make your pick as to which team you think would be the, the winning team if there was an, an all-world showdown between these two teams. I think that it add a bit more fun to the, the whole experience. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Obviously, uh, a lot of talent to choose from. So, Todd, just before we end things today, mate, can you just quickly tell us how would you like people to, to reach out to you and how can they get in touch with you if they want to? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, jump on Twitter. The account is ToddSpear35. My seventh follower uh, will be eligible for a prize. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> look forward to hearing from someone. <laughs> so thanks again, Todd, for joining me. And until we speak again, mate, all the best. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me, Adam. And uh, congratulations on the success of the show, mate. Really enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I appreciate being a part of it. Not a problem at all, mate. I'm very glad to have you on, and I hope that you'll be joining me again for many more episodes in the future. Yep, looking forward to it for sure, mate. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues, inallairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please visit the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show.